Good morning, everyone. Today our scripture reading is from Matthew three thirteen through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, how are we? Hello again. So, it's good to see you. Um, You didn't leave, I did, but I'm back. I've been on vacation um, in Asheville. It was great. We had no internet, no phone, and we had a hot tub and a Steinbeck novel and and just stared at a mountain and read, and it was great, and the kids trashed the place. Um, But I'm back. I'm ready to roll, and this uh, this week we're not doing Peter. You might have figured that out already. Um, We're talking about baptism, um, October 25th, I think it said. Yes, thank you. October 25th, we're doing a baptism service, and uh, I'll explain. I'm going to keep moving, then I'll explain later. Um, I got nothing else to say. I'm just going to pray, and, and we're going to jump into this, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come before you. We ask that you would remove the distractions from our, from our, from our minds, um, the things that our hearts are focusing on, the things that have kept us up throughout the week with things that have demanded all of our attention, that have brought stress into our lives, things we're carrying around, um, the pain and the hurt and the broken relationships. And, And we lift all those things to you. We ask that even if it's just for this little amount of time, that you would move them aside and allow us to be present with you and with your people. Um, Reveal something to us that we need to see, that we need to hear. Speak through me. Allow me to be your prophet. Allow me to uh, remember the things that I've studied and uh, communicate clearly all of these things. Most of, all, most of all, Lord, give us hearts that are thankful for the millions of blessings that you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for the, the group of people, the family that you have brought here this morning. Um, help us to build relationships that are encouraging and uplifting. Help us to learn to humble ourselves and to serve each other and to serve the people around us and serve the people in our city. Help us to gain a right view of you and of ourselves. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. All right, so I'm going to start with history as I do. Um, in the, let's see, where are we at here? I'm going to back up. I've done this already. I'm going to back up. All right. In the, in the 1930s, um, archaeologists discovered um, a small room inside some ancient ruins in Syria in a, in a small sort of set of ancient ruins called Dura Europus. And in this small room, uh, they, found, they found a house church. Um, here's what it looks like. It was surprisingly well-preserved. It was a small space where the Christians would gather. Um, and you can see um, here a, a lot of interesting things that we're going we're to talk about. But first off, um, the year that archaeologists tell us, the year that, that the Christians worshipped here was um, about 230 AD. Um, think about that. Um, that is a couple generations after the apostles. 
Um, some of the pe- people who worshipped here, some of their grandparents may have been in the presence of the apostles, may have heard them speak and preach and seen them heal people. Um, some of their grandparents may have been present at the um, Sermon on the Mount when Jesus stood there and proclaimed all of these amazing new things that no one had ever heard of before. Some of them may have been there to, to hear him, one of the, maybe one of the 500 who saw him after he arose from the dead and heard him speak and met him. Um, they were here worshiping 100 years before the, before the Council of Nicaea, when the Nicene Creed was written out, saying this is what Christians believe. They were already here worshiping, talking about a lot of the same things that we talk about, um, practicing a lot of the same things that we practice. If you look closely above this, um, over on the left here, there is sort of a big square. That's actually a tub. Our screen's a little washed out, so it's hard to see. But um, that is apparently, archaeologists tell us, it is the oldest baptistry in existence, other than the Jordan River, of course. Um, and so this is the oldest Christian Baptist, ba- baptistry that has been preserved and used by any church that we know of. Um, above the baptistry, you can see there's sort of a dome shape, and uh, it's painted blue. And, of, of course, up, up top, you can see it again between the beams and the ceiling. It's painted blue with stars, white stars, painted to look like uh, and give the, sort of the, the feeling of being outside, outdoors. This place would have been lit by candlelight, and it would have been very dark, no windows. Um, and it would have been incredibly beautiful, probably, in the dark. And um, the people would have gathered here every single year on Easter... And before the sun came up on Easter, um, the new followers of Jesus, the new converts to Christianity from wherever they came from, would gather in this room and be baptized. And they would kneel in that basin. Before they did, they would remove all of their clothing, all of their jewelry, all of their um, braids and their hairs, um, sort of in the Jewish ceremonial way of of sort of a a ritual washing in a mikvah. We're going to talk more about that next week. Um, And they would be fully immersed in the water probably three times. Um, and then they would come out of the water and they would be given a white robe, which they would wear and stand in the rest of the room with the Christians, uh, the followers of Jesus, with white robes. And they would all wear these robes together and they would proclaim the gospel out loud to each other. Now, um, as this was happening, you could see that they were surrounded by all kinds of paintings and frescoes. Let's look at a few of these here. Um, right above the baptismal, there is this painting um, and if you look right about here, you could see a man carrying a sheep on his shoulders. This is the parable of the Good Shepherd. Um, and this would have been above them as they are being baptized. They would have seen that. So the next picture we have is um, you see a man standing up here. You see another man over here. Well, first off, there's a man here um, laying on a cot. And then he's over here carrying that cot. This is Jesus healing the paralytic. And over to the right, you would have um, two women at the empty tomb of Jesus um, with the sort of ancient Roman symbol of deity above the, the golden sun there. And then you have this picture here as well. You have a ship in a torrent, sort of like in a storm. And over here, you have two people holding hands, standing here, one of them sort of half submerged. You have Peter walking on the water towards Jesus. The same stories that we tell here. And over here on the right, you have the Samaritan woman at the well and, and Jesus meeting her and offering her living water so that she will never thirst again. 
So as these, as these men and women are being baptized and submerged in the water, all around them are these frescoes and the stories of um, why, the reminders of why they are being baptized. They're being baptized because they need guidance and protection, symbolized by the, the good shepherd. They're being baptized maybe because they need healing, like the paralytic, because they, need, they have hope that dead things can, can come back to life, that God can reverse death, even dead relationships, dead, um, a, a just all death that imperviates our life, that it can be reversed. They believe that God could do this because he had done this. And so this picture would be here. Um, you, would have, you would have the reminders that the followers of Jesus keep their eyes on him and they can walk over turbulent times. Um, and then you have the reminder that Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well and offered her living water, even though she's not one of the chosen people, even though her life was full of sin. And they were reminded that they are just like that woman, um, full of sin, and God is offering living water to, to meet every need, something that fulfills and doesn't leave us thirsty again. That, that the gl- grace and the love of God is open to all of us. And so after the baptism, um, they would, these, these early Christians would take part in the same things that we do, communion. They used very common things. They used uh, bread, the broken bread, the body of Christ. They used wine, the, the poured out, the spilled out blood of Christ, poured out for us so that we can find, so that we can be filled up. And then they used water, the substance of life, the thing that is running through all of our veins, the things that we need to live. Water. And they immerse themselves in it and come out the other side. And so all of these common things that, that we do today, all of the same stories that we tell today, all of the things that they wanted from Jesus, that they needed in life, we still talk about those things today. We are the same as these ancient people. The message is the same. The story is the same. Hope, resurrection, new life. And it's all there. Today, we're going to talk about baptism. Um, and next week, we're probably going to talk about baptism again. And if I still have material left over, we're going to talk about baptism one more time before we do our baptism. Um, and we'll get back to Second Peter later. Don't worry about it. Um, so um, there's different ways you can look at baptism. You can sort of pick it up and look at it from all these different angles. And, and from different parts of scriptures, no matter where you're looking at it from, you're going to see something different. You're going to see a sort of a different reason baptism is incredible and it's beautiful. Um, next week, we're going to talk about how baptism gives us a new way of looking at others, at other people, at the world around us. It gives you a new way of looking at what you are doing here. What is your job? What is your purpose? Is it really um, to amass tons of wealth and then to die and leave it all to another person? Is this what we're here for? To build big empires, to get our name well known, and then die and have this entire generation die with us, and then nobody will know we were here. What is all of this for? Baptism tells you that. Okay, so this week we're actually going to talk about the other, uh, a completely different thing. It's, it's what baptism, how baptism gives you a new way of looking at yourself at you, who you are, the things you have done, the things you will do, um, how do you look at yourself? And that's what we're going to talk about today with baptism. And so our, our passage is Matthew chapter 3, which we read, uh, verses 13 through 17. Let's read the beginning of this here. Uh, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. So who was John? John was the cousin of Jesus. He was the miracle child of um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. He uh, was 
a really kind of eccentric guy. He, he dressed crazy. He talked crazy. He ate weird stuff. Everything that he did was there to make a point. When he walked in the room, you would notice that he was there. John was a prophet. We call him John the Baptist. He wasn't really like a Baptist. He wasn't even Southern Baptist. Um, John the Baptizer is what a lot of people call him because they don't, they don't call him Baptist. I don't know. Um, and so John was the son of a priest. Um, his father, Zechariah, was a priest. He worked in the temple. This basically means his job was to be there in the temple to receive the offerings of the people, the, the animals that they would bring to have sacrifice to pay for their sins. And so he would spend a lot of time praying for the people, um, atoning for their sins with sacrificial lambs and birds or whatever it was that, depending on their sort of income level, there was different things that you would bring. Um, and so in order for people to go to the temple to offer the sacrifices, they had to be ritually cleansed. There's something called a mikvah. We're going to talk about that next week. Um, it was a basin with 40 measures of water, and people would get in, they would take out all their hair braids, and they would take off their clothing and, and all their jewelry, and they would immerse themselves fully. And they would take off all their clothing and their hair braids and their jewelry because everything had to be exposed to the water. Every part of them had to be immersed and touched by the water so that when they came up out of the water, their outside was washed clean. And then they could enter the temple. So John, this would always happen in a mikvah. Now, John was unique. Being the weirdo that he was, he says, I don't need no mikvah. I'm going to go over here. We're going to go to the water. We're going to go to the Jordan River. And he makes a point of his baptism. Um, it's completely different. So John um, is baptizing at the Jordan River. Then it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Um, John was less concerned with the outside of people being clean than he, than he was with the inside of people being clean. John saw things differently than everyone else did. There are people like this who hear things about God and they think, I think it's more than that. I don't think it's just that. I think that's a metaphor. I think, I think the ritual washing is not meant to be just the outside. I think it's meant to be something much bigger, much deeper. And these people are, are cleaning their outsides, but they're not cleaning their insides. And so John made a point with his baptism. He went down, instead of a mikvah, he went to the Jordan River. Um, and he went to a certain place in the Jordan River. Uh, if, you, if you look over at John chapter 1, verse 28, it says this. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John was not baptized. He, he didn't just leave the temple and walk down to the Jordan. He crossed the Jordan and baptized people on the other side of it. Um, when John baptized people, the scriptures tell us that his message of baptism was repent. Repent and be baptized. Repentance was not part of the normal ritual cleansing. Repentance is about the inside. It's about how you look at things. It's about a heart change. It's about saying this is not a constructive, healthy, spiritually holy way to live. And I should not be doing this. And I recant of what I've been doing. And I, I, I change. I repent. And so John, while he's cleansing the outside for them to go to the temple, John is also commanding them to repent thereby cleansing the inside. And, and he does this on the far side of the Jordan River. What happened on the other side of that Jordan River? That is the exact place where he's baptizing them, is the exact place where the Israelites first came to the promised land from slavery in Egypt, from wandering in the desert. When they came into the promised land and God gave them a new 
place, a new way of life where he, his temple will be the center of everything and worship of him would be the, the center of their existence. They came there to the river and they crossed through. So John says, look, if you're going to be baptized, if you want to go to the temple, if you want to worship God, if you want to connect to God, you're going to leave the promised land and you're going to meet me on the other side again, and we're going to do this all over again. And we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to baptize you, we're going to clean the outside, and you're going to repent, we're going to clean the inside, and you're going to start over. We're going to enter into this city all over again. We're going to try this over. Because it hasn't been going really well. And so location is very, very important in scriptures. This guy was making a point with every single thing that he did. And what John is saying is, you can start over. You can begin again. And in fact, to connect with God, you need to begin again. You need to repent. You need to change. So I don't know where a lot of you are from. Apparently one of you is from Utah. Um, some of you are from Tampa. Some of you are from St. Pete, Clearwater, all over the place. Um, Newport Ritchie um, and other places. And uh, I don't know how many of you have ever wished that you could just start over. That you could like leave Tampa Bay, and come back um, and meet these people again, get that job again, start over, because they know too much about you. You have failed too much. You, you never should have said that thing. You never should have done that deed. You never should have gotten involved in whatever you got involved in. You wish that you could undo all of the things that you have done, but you can't, and you carry them now. And every time you see these people, it is there, and you are reminded of the failures you have. I have them, you have them, and there are people that when we see them, we are reminded. And, and, and so often we wish we could just, I wish I could go back and just start over. I know people that have moved, maybe some of you moved to Tampa from another city because you had to start over because of the, some of the things that you were involved in, the things that you've done. I know people who have moved away from Tampa to other cities because they needed to start over. And John says, we can. We're going to. And we're going to do something called baptism. And it's not the normal ritual washing. It's, it's different. It's far more symbolic. It has far more meaning. And when we come together and we practice this thing, it changes us, who we are and how we move throughout this world. And so John says, we're going to begin again. Which takes us back to that small group of Christians in Dura Europus. That small group of, of Christians, that church. How they got there early in the morning before the sun was up and they knelt down in freezing cold water um, we know it was freezing cold because there's a book called the Didache, which was an early manual for how to do church in the first century. And it literally says, the water should be cold. <laughs> and uh, making baptism far worse. Um, and they would actually remove all of their clothing, like I said, and be fully exposed before the entire church, which is weird, which is awkward. We're not comfortable with this. And I understand why. None of us would want to do this. We live in a culture today that... Um, uh, I guess you'd call a modesty culture, um, where we believe that the human body at a certain place should be covered up for various reasons, for sexual reasons, for all kinds of things. Um, and it's hard for us to fathom not having clothes on in front of large groups of people. But there are cultures around the world that, that don't exist in a modesty culture. And this is a very probably long conversation. Uh, the one I can point to is my brother. I know I talk about him a lot. He's a missionary in Indonesia and in West Papua in the jungle. He lives uh, with a tribe called the Dao people who do not wear clothes at all. 
They wear no clothes, zero clothes, um, and they, um, it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't even dawn on them that they're naked because their sexuality to them is not, in their minds, because they live this way, is not linked to sort of um, what they see. It's linked to emotion and, and the vibes you're sort of putting off for each other. And so it's this totally different way of living. Throughout history, there have been modesty cultures and there have been not modesty cultures. Rome was sort of this half and half thing. Um, the people would, in the gymnasium, you know what it, so gymnasium is an ancient Roman phrase for literally, um, people have said it, it meant the place to run around naked. This is getting weird, I'm sorry. Um, and the Romans, this, I did not talk like this in the first service. I don't know where I'm, I'm going somewhere. It's all really important to me, apparently. Um, because the Romans would work out, they would exercise this way. And so they looked at the human body differently than we do. Um, the clothes that you were wearing actually didn't symbolize anything sexual. The clothes um, didn't symbolize modesty. The clothes symbolized social status. And this is the big difference. Um, because people could look at you and they could see by the clothes that you were wearing your worth in society, your social standing. Um, how important you were to the people around you and the role that you played in society. And so maybe you were wearing a slave's robe. People would know you are low, lowest of the low. Actually, in that day, you weren't quite as low as women. And we've talked about that. Um, And so if you were wearing a head covering and you were not a woman of means and wealth, you were just wearing a head covering, you were just considered the lowest in society in those days. This was not true in the church. They changed things. But you were the lowest of the low. And, and, then, and then a woman who didn't have a head covering on would be considered a prostitute. And so they would look at you and see who you are and measure your worth. And that's how they would talk to you based upon what you were wearing. Uh, maybe you were wearing a centurion's red cloak. People would know that you had some power and you should be respected. You were, if you were wearing a towel tied around your waist, you were a servant. Um, Maybe a hired servant, maybe not a slave, but then they could tell you things to do. When you walked in, they would be the ones that would wash your feet and wash the mud off your feet from your travels. Um, if you were wearing an insignia ring, it, it probably meant that you were a business person or you handled large amounts of money for various people. Um, if you were wearing a, um, a leather belt with metal rings, it meant um, that was a place to hang a dagger. It meant that you had some power. Maybe you protected people of means of wealth. Maybe you were sort of law enforcement of ancient Rome. Um, and there's different things that your clothes would say about you. And people would look at you and they would know a lot of things. They would judge how sinful you were. Maybe you were really wrapped up in the Roman Empire. The Jews would, would not be okay with that. If you were in the clothes of a tax collector, you were a traitor. If you were in the clothes of a zealot, you were actually respected because you were kind of a killer, but it was for good reasons. And so the clothes mattered. And so actually, as the people gathered, um, this is how they would define them. We still do this today. This is what we have in common with the ancient Roman Empire. We look at people's clothes and what they're wearing and we try to define them. If people are wearing torn, tattered clothing and sort of an orange vest, we assume that they're homeless and they're begging. If people are wearing um, a police uniform, you treat them a certain way, you talk to them a certain way. Uh, maybe some people are afraid of them, some people are um, gracious t- towards them and, some, and, and, and people are treated differently by what they are wearing. A person in a business suit is not treated the same um, as a person in flip-flops and sandals. Uh, and sandals because they're wearing two pairs of shoes apparently um, when uh, a priest walks into Starbucks this is not a joke when a priest, priest walks into Starbucks everyone stops cursing 
I could put a white collar on and walk into Starbucks, and all of a sudden it's like, Pastor, and, and people will talk different. Um, this is how our clothes affect the way we look at each other and how we talk to each other. And so the early church, they gather in this place, and they remove their clothing, and they kneel down in the basin, and they are baptized. And when they get out of the baptismal, they are handed a white robe. And at the end, they're all wearing white robes. The old converts, the new converts, the pastors, the elders, they're all the same. It's a fresh start. It's different. What they're saying is, I'm taking off who I was. I'm going into this water. That person is now dead. When I come up out of the water, we look at you a different way after you have been baptized. That's what they're saying. Um, it's all about new identity. Watch this. Watch what happens in Matthew chapter 3, um, in verse 16. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, normally when people talk about this passage, they talk about the obvious things. There's a dove that came out of the sky and landed on his shoulder. Fascinating. And there's the sky opened up, and a voice is talking. And that's the stuff we normally focus on. I'm not focusing on that. Um, There's something fascinating that happens here. Um, After Jesus is baptized, he stands up, and God says, By the way, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son. So the question I have is, was he beloved before he was baptized? Yes. Was he the son of God before he was baptized? Yes. But you see, identity is always God's first move. When you come to understand resurrection, death, burial, followed by resurrection, this affects your identity. The people of God are people who have put sort of the world standards of them aside, pushed them aside, put them away. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, God says, by the way, this is my beloved son. And it's the exact same with you and me. When we come up out of the water of baptism, we proclaim what is already true. You are a beloved child of God. He has always loved you. He did not start loving you when you were baptized. His view of you has not changed. It's the view of yourself that has changed. It's the view of others around you that has changed because we now are affirming something that is already. We are proclaiming something that is already true. Um, Rachel Held Elvins uh, writes this. She says, where God calls the baptized beloved, demons call her addict, slut, sinner, failure, fat, worthless, faker, screw up. And where God calls her child, the demons beckon with Rich, powerful, pretty, important, religious, esteemed, accomplished, right. We are always trying to label people. Well, they're religious. Well, they're pagan. They are this. They are that. We are always trying to say, if you will become this, you can call yourself a beloved child of God. You can call yourself loved by him when you achieve this and this. When you mentally ascend to all of the things you need to know. When you become a productive member of society. When you get married, when you are whatever, then you will be beloved. A baptism flies in the face of that. In baptism, we throw off all of the labels that even people in the church throw around. And we throw them off and we go into the water and that person never comes back out of that water again. The person that comes out of that water is somebody who is starting over And the community gathers around and they look at you and they say, you are a beloved child of God whom he loves, whom he is drawing to himself. 
you are a beloved child of God. And we are proclaiming something that was already true, but now we carry it with us. Now it's heavier. It has meaning. Identity is one of the most important things that God wants to deal with because we measure ourselves by the clothes that we wear, by the jobs that we do, by the sins that we have committed. We all measure ourselves by all of these things, by the ways we have been religious, by the amount that we tithe, by how much we serve in the church, by our position in the community. And God says, when I look at you, I don't see that. I see a beloved child of God, and I am drawing you to myself. And in baptism, we proclaim what is already true. Another fascinating thing about baptism is that you cannot baptize yourself. You can't. Have you ever been baptized? Yes. Oh, tell me about that. Well, I went down to the water. I jumped in. Went like this. Fell backwards. And just to meet all the qualifications of all the denominations, I did three times backwards and three times forwards and came out of the water. And I was baptized. Really? Yes. You baptized yourself? Yes. Who saw it? Nobody. Who was gathered around you? Nobody. Well, then you're not baptized. That is not bad. Baptism is a gift that the community gives you. It is a gift that God gives you and his people through his body, through the hands and feet of the people who were gathered there. Baptism is not just this thing that you do. Um, It takes much more than that. Because the people that are gathered there around you are the ones that give you the gift of proclaiming your new start. When you go into that water, when you come out, I will no longer hold against you the things that you have done. No longer will that offense, that thing that you said, that harsh word that you said, that act that you did, that thing that we all saw, the thing that you went through um, and you suffered through and and you reacted wrongly, um, the ways you have offended large swaths of people through something that you posted online or something that you said or did, some crime you committed, We no longer see that. When you went into that water, that person is gone. When you came out, we proclaimed you are a beloved child of God. And we are reminding, we are here to remind you of that. You will forever look back on this day and be reminded that you are a beloved child of God and you don't need to carry these things. When you bring them up and you're going to talk about that one time you said that thing and how you feel bad for it, we're going to say, what thing? Grace and peace. It's gone. It's gone. That person is gone. There was actually um, a preacher during the Enlightenment era that when he baptized people, he would literally yell, I kill you in the name of Jesus and pull you up out of the water. And people, I'm sure, were hoping, I hope he pulls them out of the water. (laughs) He's not literally killing somebody right now. Um, And this is what, this is what this is. This is what the death, burial, and resurrection is. Jesus offers us a new start, a new way of living. We call it being born again. You plug into something different, some power that is, that is not of this world. It's something that you are not any longer running on the same thing that everyone else is. The word holy, you're living a holy life. The word holy we've talked about before in First Peter is the word hagios, which means different. God is running on something different. He's not running on, on esteem and power and, and money and accolades. God is running on things like grace and mercy and love. God is love. And when you are born again, you plug into that and that drives all of your decisions. And so you can start over again. This is what baptism is. Um, uh, Martin Luther, when, uh, when, when he was writing, um, it's well known that he had depression, that he suffered from depression and he would get into very dark times, very dark places. And he 
um, had a lot of regrets from the things that he had done. He had made a lot of mistakes. He had written some things that he regretted, some racist things. He had, he had done lots of things to tarnish his name. And he, it is said that, that he used to write to himself and say, uh, when this would happen, he'd say, Martin, be calm. You have been baptized. You know what this is? It's baptism. Is, it's not some magic token that erases everything you've done. It's not, uh, it, it doesn't just, it's not a good LGF free card. It doesn't, it, it, it's nothing like that. Baptism is the thing we look back on, the proclamation of God's people that, hey, we've all done these things. I mean, who is baptizing you? Who, who are the people that are gathered around you baptizing you? They are sinners and fakers and liars and thieves. We are all dishonorable people. There are things in our hearts that are dark. And yet the community of Jesus is made up of these people. And we baptize you. And when you come up out of the water, we proclaim you are a beloved child of God. And so Martin used to say to himself, Martin, you are baptized. You don't need to worry about these things. You are baptized. The, the, the body of Christ has raised hands over you and said, you are a child of God, beloved by God. God is drawing you in. And so maybe you are here today and you need a start. You need a new start. You are carrying around some stuff that you're just sick of. And people know, and the air's not clear, and you have been maybe striving um, to have this image that you've been building up, and you've been carefully crafting this image through all of your social media and all of your like, conversations with people and the way you dress, but inside you're torn and you're dark, and you are terrified that one day it's going to be revealed. Um, I want to invite you to be baptized. I want you to have a new start. This is what we want to offer to you a new start. You don't have to move out of the city. You don't have to do, um, you don't have to get naked, I promise. That's a thing that's isn't there. Um, we want we want to offer you baptism. It's it's an integral part of of, of God's people, of what we do. Um, and so uh, three weeks from now, I think, October 25th, we're going to have a baptism service. We're going to do it here. We used to do it at the beach. Um, over the last couple of years, the attendance at the beach baptisms has been sort of dwindling because of various things. First off, it's like, 40 minutes away, the beach that we go to, and, and, and there's all kinds of reasons. Um, but baptism should be done by as many, it should be witnessed by as many people as possible. We have about 450 people on an average Sunday, and, and you guys need to see this. You need to be there for these people that are getting baptized because they are kneeling in the waters, begging for a new start. And all around the original Christians, the frescoes on the wall, what were they? They were, they were what we need to be baptized for because we need healing, because we need resurrection, because we need hope, because there are storms and we need, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus and walk over them because, um, because we are just different and we're outcasts and, and, and Jesus wants to come to the well and offer us living water. And when we gather around the person being baptized, all of us with all of our stories of redemption and sacrifice and God just pulling us out of the muck and mire and cleaning us up and putting us there, when we gather around the person being baptized, we are the frescoes on the wall. And they look at you and they say, man, thank you for reminding me of what I need. And so we're going to do baptism here. And uh, it's going to be beautiful. I think it's going to be great. And uh, I want to invite you to be baptized if you need this. And this isn't the only way of looking at baptism next week. I'm going to give you a whole other way. And so if I can't convince you to get baptized this week, then you will next week. Um, and so with that, um, we're going to take communion. Our communion servers can go ahead and gather uh, the elements and spread out around the room. And uh, I want you... This week, as we take communion, 
the bread and the, the bread and the, and the, and the wine, the, the blood and the body of Christ that was poured out for you, I, I want you to think about that new start. I want you to, to praise God and thank him for what he is offering you, the new life, being born again, a whole new way of existing and living in this world. Thank him for the community of God that offers this to us, that recognizes it. And we all stand here the same, admitting that we are all sinners and we need grace desperately for salvation of our souls and our hearts and our lives. And uh, we offer that to each other. And so our communion servers will go ahead and spread around the room and uh, take some time and talk to Jesus this morning. And uh, if, if you would like to be baptized, we're going to have a sign up on the city. It should be up already. If you're not on the city, which is our sort of um, our, our church-wide online community, um, there's a paper. Um, if we're going to go all analog, there's a pen and a paper in the lobby that you can just write your name down and your email address. And uh, we also want to know what service you would like to be baptized in. And if you have questions, email me. Um, and I would... I would love to field your questions or talk to you about anything. Um, so let's, community service, come on up and we'll pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for everything you have done for us and for the ways that you have blessed our community and our people. We bask in your grace. We ask for more of it. We ask that we would learn to handle it well and to, to, to pour it out on other people. Thank you for the ways that you have changed us. Thank you that... When we gather together, we are sort of this mosaic of, of just really screwed up people who all have our own sins and our own problems and our own failures. And we can be honest about it and we confess and, and we receive mercy and grace and forgiveness and understanding. Thank you for this community. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. For all these things in your name. Amen.